Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Hey everyone, welcome to another installment of Harry Potter Theory. Today, we're going to be discussing 10 more dark moments from the books that were either misrepresented in the films or omitted entirely. These were moments so dark that, in the case of some, they had to be removed in order to keep the film's PG rating down. I've also done a part 1 and 2, so be sure to check those out if you haven't already. Anyway, I won't dawdle, let's dive in. Harry Hearing His Parents Screaming Throughout the books, Harry has copious encounters with Dementors, and one aspect of these encounters that's somewhat overlooked in the films is that when he's in their presence, he's being exposed to the screams of his dying parents. Expecto Patronum, Harry yelled. Expecto Patronum, expecto, but the classroom and the Dementor were dissolving. Harry was falling again through thick white fog, and his mother's voice was louder than ever, echoing inside his head. Not Harry, not Harry. Please, I'll do anything. Stand aside, stand aside, girl. Harry! White fog obscured his senses. Big, blurred shapes were moving around him. Then came a new voice, a man's voice, shouting, panicking. Lily, take Harry and go. It's him. Go. Run. I'll hold him off. The sounds of someone stumbling from a room, a door bursting open, a cackle of high-pitched laughter. Harry. Harry. Wake up. Though Harry also suffers in the presence of Dementors in the films, the specificity of the books makes these experiences that much darker. Umbridge's Torture of Harry In the Order of the Phoenix, we see Umbridge take Hogwarts by storm, by first becoming a professor and later becoming headmistress. And it's during this same school year that she regularly abuses her power, particularly when it comes to student punishments, taking it upon herself to instate highly torturous forms of corporal punishment. The best example of this is when Umbridge gives Harry the Black Quill, a dark magical torture device. While using this quill, whatever the user writes is carved onto the back of their hand and the blood from the words sliced into the hand is magically siphoned and used as an ink on the parchment. Harry does use this same quill in the films, but on only one occasion. It also feels as though his detention is relatively short-lived. The books expand on this further by emphasizing that Harry had many detentions lasting hours and hours, sometimes starting at 5pm and lasting until well over midnight. He let out a gasp of pain, the words had appeared on the parchment in what appeared to be shining red ink, 
At the same time, the words had appeared on the back of Harry's right hand, cut into his skin as though traced there by a scalpel. Yet even as he stared at the shining cut, the skin healed over again, leaving the place where it had been slightly redder than before, but quite smooth. He looked back at the parchment, placed the quill upon it once more, wrote I must not tell lies, and felt the searing pain on the back of his hand for a second time. Once again, the words had been cut into his skin. Once again, they healed over seconds later, and on it went. Again and again, Harry wrote the words on the parchment in what he soon came to realize was not ink, but his own blood. And again and again, the words were cut into the back of his hand, healed, and then reappeared the next time he set quill to parchment. Harry undergoes so much torturous punishment that he eventually develops a scar on his hand reading, I must not tell lies. Harry's breaking point. Harry endures a lot over the course of the story, but it isn't always properly addressed in the films. The books do a much better job of this, and in one particular moment we witness Harry reach his absolute breaking point. During Harry's time at school, he personally witnesses the murder of a fellow student and friend. He has to cope with the rise of Voldemort, the same dark wizard that murdered his parents. He has to go back to Privet Drive every summer and suffer the aftermath of his tragic years away at school, all by himself. Every attempt he makes to help with the brewing war is rejected or dismantled, and he's mocked and called a liar by the wizarding publication The Daily Prophet. And these are only some of the things he has to deal with at the tender age of 15. Harry turned his back on Dumbledore and stared determinedly out of the opposite window. He could see the Quidditch Stadium in the distance. Sirius had appeared there once, disguised as the shaggy black dog, so he could watch Harry play. He had probably come to see whether Harry was as good as James had been. Harry had never asked him. There is no shame in what you are feeling, Harry, said Dumbledore's voice. On the contrary, the fact that you can feel pain like this is your greatest strength. Harry felt the white-hot anger lick his insides, blazing in the terrible emptiness, filling him with a desire to hurt Dumbledore for his calmness and his empty words. My greatest strength, is it? said Harry, his voice shaking as he stared out at the Quidditch Stadium, no longer seeing it. You haven't got a clue. You don't know. What don't I know? asked Dumbledore calmly. It was too much. Harry turned around, shaking with rage. I don't want to talk about how I feel, alright? Harry, suffering like this proves you are still a man. This pain is part of being human. Then I don't want to be human, Harry roared, and he seized one of the delicate silver instruments from the spindle-legged table beside him and flung it across the room. It shattered into a hundred tiny pieces against the wall. Several of the pictures let out yells of anger and fright, and the portrait of Armando Tippett said, Really? I don't care, Harry yelled at them, snatching up a lunoscope and throwing it into the fireplace. I've had enough. I've seen enough. I want out. I want it to end. I don't care anymore. The films did a lot of things well, but the pain that Harry experiences in this moment is only appropriately encapsulated in the novels. Harry's Ghostly Realization This next dark moment comes after the breakdown mentioned above, at the end of Order of the Phoenix. After a hell of a rough school year, Harry seems to find solace in the idea that he may one day be reunited with Sirius when he returns to the land of the living as a ghost. In this moment, Harry has a glimmer of hope in his heart for the first time in a while. 
However, he is later gently disabused by nearly headless Nick, who explains to Harry how the whole ghost thing actually works. After their exchange, Harry has to face the harsh reality that Sirius is well and truly gone. Oh, very well, he Nick said, looking resigned. I can't pretend I haven't been expecting it. Expecting what? Harry asked. You to come and find me, said Nick. It happens sometimes, when somebody has suffered a loss. Well, said Harry, refusing to be deflected. You were right, I've, I've come to find you. Nick said nothing. It's, said Harry, who was finding this more awkward than he had anticipated. It's just, you're dead, but you're still here, aren't you? Nick sighed and continued to gaze out at the grounds. That's right, isn't it? Harry urged him. You died, but I'm talking to you. You can walk around Hogwarts and everything, can't you? Yes, said nearly headless Nick quietly. I can walk and talk, yes. So, you came back, didn't you? Said Harry urgently. People can come back, right? As ghosts? They don't have to disappear completely. Well, he added impatiently when Nick continued to say nothing. Nearly headless Nick hesitated, then said, Not everyone can come back as a ghost. What do you mean? Said Harry quickly. Only, only wizards. Oh, said Harry, and he almost laughed with the relief. Well, that's okay then. The person I'm asking about is a wizard, so he can come back, right? Nick turned away from the window and looked mournfully at Harry. He won't come back. Who? Sirius Black, said Nick. But you did, said Harry angrily. You came back. You're dead and you didn't disappear. Wizards can leave an imprint of themselves upon the earth to walk palely where their living selves once trod, said Nick miserably. But very few wizards choose that path. Why not, said Harry. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Sirius won't care if it's unusual. He'll come back. I know he will. I was afraid of death, said Nick. I chose to remain behind. I sometimes wonder whether I oughtn't to have. Well, that is neither here nor there. In fact, I am neither here nor there. This passage is doubly sad because it's clear that Nick has had to do this with generations of kids who have lost loved ones and felt certain that they will come back as ghosts, later feeling betrayed when they realize they haven't. Snape's death. Though Snape's death was shown in the Harry Potter movies, I'd argue that this moment felt much darker in the books. There were also a few aspects of his death that were lost when adapted to film. For starters, in the book it takes place in the Shrieking Shack, whereas in the movies it takes place in the Boathouse, an underground harbour located beneath Hogwarts. The snake's cage was rolling through the air, and before Snape could do anything more than yell, it had encased him, head and shoulders, and Voldemort spoke in Parseltongue. Kill. There was a terrible scream. Harry saw Snape's face losing the little colour it had left. It whitened as his black eyes widened, as the snake's fangs pierced his neck, as he failed to push the enchanted cage off himself, as his knees gave way and he fell to the floor. As Voldemort believed Snape to be the master of the Elder Wand, his death was inevitable. And so, Voldemort makes quick work of Snape, ordering his pet Nagini to take care of business. However, due to some clever camera work in the films, we never actually see Nagini's fangs sinking into Snape's neck. In the film version, we also see Voldemort use some kind of slashing spell prior to Nagini attacking him. When Harry finally approaches Snape, he had blood flowing from his eyes, ears, nose, and mouth. He's gurgling his last breaths. It's also way more drawn out. 
In the books, we witnessed Snape plead with Voldemort. We truly felt for him. However, in the film, it felt as though it was all over in an instant. While the film felt dark, it didn't feel that dark. Ron getting attacked by brains. Deep within the Department of Mysteries, inside the Ministry of Magic, lies the brain room. A long rectangular room lit by low hanging lamps, the highlight of which is a tank of oddly aggressive brains swimming in a green solution. Unfortunately, the brain room, love chamber, space chamber, and time room were omitted from the films. In the books, however, there is a moment where Ron, who happens to find himself inside of the brain room, summons one of the brains and nearly gets strangled to death. Ron, no! Harry did not know what would happen if Ron touched the tentacles of thought now flying behind the brain, but he was sure it would not be anything good. He darted forwards, but Ron had already caught the brain in his outstretched hands. The moment they made contact with his skin, the tentacles began wrapping themselves around Ron's arms like ropes. Harry, look what's happened. No, no, I don't like it. No, stop, stop. But the thin ribbons were spinning around Ron's chest now. He tugged and tore at them as the brain was pulled tight against him like an octopus's body. Defendo, yelled Harry trying to sever the feelers wrapping themselves tightly around Ron before his eyes. But they would not break. Ron fell over, still thrashing against his bonds. What was particularly dark about this moment was that Ron's life was in danger and no one was around to help him, distracted by the Dementors. Barty Crouch Jr.'s Dementors Kiss Barty Crouch Jr. was a seriously questionable individual. However, his actions in Wizarding Society should certainly not have waived his right to a fair trial and sentencing. After successfully impersonating Mad-Eye Moody for an entire school year, Barty Crouch Jr. is eventually found out, but does not receive any kind of a fair trial. When we told Mr. Fudge that we'd caught the Death Eater responsible for tonight's events, said Snape in a low voice, he seemed to feel his personal safety was in question. He insisted on summoning a Dementor to accompany him into the castle, he brought it up to the office where Barty Crouch- I told him you would not agree, Dumbledore, McGonagall fumed. I told him you would never allow Dementors to set foot inside the castle, but- My dear woman, roared Fudge, who likewise looked angrier than Harry had ever seen him. As Minister of Magic, it is my decision whether I wish to bring protection with me when interviewing a possibly dangerous- But Professor McGonagall's voice drowned Fudge's. The moment that that thing entered the room, she screamed, pointing at Fudge, trembling all over. It swooped down on Crouch and, and Harry felt a chill in his stomach as Professor McGonagall struggled to find the words to describe what had happened. He did not need her to finish her sentence. He knew what the Dementor must have done. It had administered its fatal kiss to Barty Crouch. In this moment, Cornelius Fudge abuses his power as minister and exposes Barty Crouch Jr. to a fate worse than death. Harry wishes he was with his parents. In the Deathly Hallows, there is a particularly sad moment where Harry visits the graves of his parents. This happens in both the books and films. However, the books did a much better job of setting the scene, and are able to more accurately highlight the range of emotions that Harry is enduring in this moment. In the books, there is a particularly dark moment where it's revealed that Harry wishes he was buried in the snow with his parents. But they were not living, thought Harry. They were gone. The empty words could not disguise the fact that his parents' mouldering remains lay beneath snow and stone, 
indifferent, unknowing, and tears came before he could stop them, boiling hot then instantly freezing on his face. And what was the point in wiping them off or pretending? He let them fall, his lips pressed hard together, looking down at the thick snow hiding from his eyes, the place where the last of Lily and James lay, bones now, surely, or dust, not knowing or caring that their living son stood so near, his heart still beating, alive because of their sacrifice, and close to wishing, at this moment, that he was sleeping under the snow with them. Umbridge's Centaur Encounter In the Order of the Phoenix, Dolores Umbridge is tricked into accompanying Harry and Hermione into the woods, where they run into a herd of centaurs. Almost immediately, Umbridge unwisely insults them, telling them that they are creatures of near-human intelligence and filthy half-breeds. As a result, the centaurs get angry, grab her, and carry her off. Over the plunging, many-colored backs and heads of the centaurs, Harry saw Umbridge being borne away through the trees by Bane, still screaming non-stop. Her voice grew fainter and fainter until they could no longer hear it over the trampling of hooves surrounding them. And while this does occur in both the books and films, only the books address the aftermath. After being taken away and held captive by the centaurs for an undetermined amount of time, Dumbledore ends up trekking off into the forest to save her. Professor Umbridge was lying in a bed opposite them, gazing up at the ceiling. Since she had returned to the castle, she had not, as far as any of them knew, uttered a single word. Nobody really knew what was wrong with her, either. Her usually neat, mousy hair was very untidy, and there were still bits of twigs and leaves in it. It's never explicitly mentioned what happened to Umbridge or what may have happened with the centaurs, but it can't have been good. Death of Charity Burbage in both the Harry Potter books and films, Muggle Studies Professor Charity Burbage meets a tragic end, finding herself suspended and tortured above a long table with countless Death Eaters all around her. Lord Voldemort decides to torture and kill Charity in a cold-blooded manner because of her Muggle-friendly beliefs and writings in the Daily Prophet. And while the films did include this scene, the books painted a much better picture, showcasing Charity's desperation as she begs Severus Snape for help. The book also highlights the degree of suffering that she endured. Severus, please, please. Silent, said Voldemort, with another twitch of Malfoy's wand, and Charity fell silent as if gagged. Not content with corrupting and polluting the minds of wizarding children, last week Professor Burbage wrote an impassioned defense of mudbloods in the Daily Prophet. Wizards, she says, must accept these thieves of their knowledge and magic. The dwindling of the purebloods is, says Professor Burbage, a most desirable circumstance. She would have us all mate with muggles, or no doubt, werewolves. Nobody laughed this time. There was no mistaking the anger and contempt in Voldemort's voice. For the third time, Charity Burbage revolved to face Snape. Tears were pouring from her eyes into her hair. Snape looked back at her, quite impassive, as she turned slowly away from him again. Avada Kedavra. The flash of green light illuminated every corner of the room. Charity fell with a resounding crash onto the table below, which trembled and creaked. Several of the Death Eaters leapt back in their chairs. Draco fell out of his onto the floor. Dinner, Nagini, said Voldemort softly, and the great snake swayed and slithered from his shoulders onto the polished wood. And that's it for this video. Which moments did I miss? 
What do you think is the darkest moment from the Harry Potter books? Leave a comment down below. Also, be sure to check out parts 1 and 2. Until next time, remember, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. <laughs>